Just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I just watched the 76ers figure out how to win without Joel Embiid. I watched Trey Young go off at Madison Square Garden again. I saw the Jazz score what felt like 150 points in the first quarter against Memphis. I saw a thrilling Mavericks-Clippers game where the Mavericks almost blew it at the end. Uh, I was on the edge of my seat the whole crunch time of that. And I still can't get over what the Celtics did. Danny Ainge retiring, resigning, something in between, promoting Brad Stevens to head coach. I, I want to talk more about what's going on with Boston. I'm very glad to have Jared Weiss of The Athletic on. Jared, how are you doing? It's so funny when you started that, I thought you were going to say, and I don't understand why the Celtics could have win without Jalen Brown, um, <laughs> which uh, if you watch the Celtics all year, would not have been that big of a surprise. Uh, yeah. Uh, the last 48 hours has been pure insanity here in Boston, which I guess means that it's like every single day here in Boston. Well, let me just start here. I, I was very surprised uh, by this. Less so Ainge retiring, more so promoting Brad Stevens, but it's the whole swift combination uh, were you surprised by this? Uh, yeah, uh, no, no. Brad Stevens qu quitting coaching to become a GM. Uh, <laughs> what? Who would be surprised by that? <laughs> so, like, okay, so basically, the story, the the experience for me was I probably worked till like three or four in the morning the night before because the season ended, and then I woke up at nine <clears throat> because I figured they were going to try to sneak Danny early in the morning for his exit interview which they do every single year okay. and i almost missed it last year um and so i woke up and i saw there was no press release about a presser so i'm like all right i'm gonna go back to bed and right before i was about to go back to sleep the Woj tweet comes through saying that he's strongly considering stepping down and you know Woj only says someone's strongly considering something when they're about to do something so that got me up and then when shams finally broke that brad was replacing him and it was done deal i literally fell out of my bed so i think that's how i would describe how i felt felt about this how many alarms do you set per morning uh so i use an app called sleep cycle which is awesome because mm -hmm. it will not fail you if you if you need to wake up it's going to keep harassing you until you finally wake up so well, I, but, I love but it. like you're up late and you set this nine o'clock alarm or so to see what's going on do you set a like do you need a second alarm be like all right if i can go right back to sleep i'm planning this the night before i can go back to sleep uh i set that nine o'clock alarm if nothing's happening yeah i'll check back in at like 9 40 and set a second alarm for that i just i just kind of after i wake up i just set the new one basically after okay. that so yeah but i, okay. I think I think I probably was going to reset it till like 10 o'clock and then try again. Okay. So just me, like I plan ahead. I'm like, look, if I'm up late for a game next morning, I can set that first alarm. And I know if nothing's going on, I'm going right back to sleep. Let me, I don't, I can't risk it. I can't risk not setting it correctly, but I guess that's just me. Let's go back to the Celtics. Uh, yes. You were surprised. Now that you know what happened, when you look back on how things went, did you see any signs maybe that you didn't recognize at the time, but you look back and say, Hmm, you know what? That was kind of a clue 
uh, either about Ainge stepping down or uh, Brad Stevens going uh, into the front office. Uh, for the former, uh, there was no surprises like that. That I knew was coming either this summer or next summer. I think it was pretty obvious at this point. And then when Danny went on the radio and categorically denied that he was resigning, I believe he said that after he had already uh, retired, I should say uh, <laughs> retired. He had already retired internally, I think, after he said that. You know, when Danny Ainge forcefully denies something, that means that it's true usually. So um <laughs> So yeah, the as far as Brad is concerned, I mean, I'll, I'll have more reporting on this later, so I don't want to say too much sure, yet. Sure. And there's still more reporting to do before putting certain stuff out there, obviously. Um, but I mean, there was there was a need for a change on the bench, and I didn't expect them to fire Brad just for the for the beyond the simple fact that his extension was ginormous, and they weren't going to do that, especially with the state of financial affairs right now. Um, I don't think he's a coach that you should be firing. He uh, he's he's still a great coach, and I think he's proven that despite what people try to say and try to use pretty faulty and hollow logic to try to make him out to not be a great coach. Like he's clearly a great coach, but they needed to change their bench. They needed they have a lot of good assistants, but they don't have. There's a lot of teams that you're seeing with big success right now. They have some guys that were former head coaches. They have some guys that have championship experience. Um, I mean, they do have Jamie Young, who I believe was on the staff when Doc Rivers won, but he was at the beginning of his career at that point. But they needed to at least change their coaching staff to probably bring in an offensive coordinator, frankly, because their offense was just such a disaster this year. And uh, you can ask Brad. I certainly poked him on that many, many times throughout the season. Um, And so I I knew that was going to be coming. Obviously, nobody in the world thought uh, had any inkling that Stevens was taking over. I'm sure somebody will try to claim they did, and that's complete BS. It's very obvious <laughs> that like he did, his son didn't even know it was happening until yesterday morning. So, um, you know, it makes it makes sense though. I, I do. I actually do like the move because Brad's demeanor, the way he sees the game, the way he conducts himself, just the way he tries to manage people. I think it makes him a great fit to be a GM. It kind of makes him a great fit to follow in Angel's footsteps because there are a lot of similarities in the way that they operate with their patience and level-headedness and things like that. But I think there were some flaws in the way that Ainge managed the team or at least conducted negotiations and roster building that uh, came through in the last few years that I think Stevens might actually be better suited to bring that change forward. I think Brad Stevens is a very good communicator very organized a lot of things that will translate to the front office but he doesn't have the experience in it and that's why tell me if you disagree i look at this as the celtics probably got worse with their lead executive and they probably will get worse at coach because brad stevens is a really good coach and the odds of them hiring somebody as good or better than him are low it's possible uh, but i'd say the odds are against it so are, are you with me did the celtics get worse at both positions probably yeah, I mean, I guess that I, I don't want to. Worse is too like worse is your choices sounds, are better or worse. It, they're worse. They're worse. Okay. For sure. Yeah, um, yeah. I but, understand there are degrees. I don't. I'm not saying they got way worse. I'm just saying it looks like a downgrade on both fronts to me. But but Brad was pretty. I thought this was really impressive of him to say. Fr- frankly, was he said multiple times basically that we needed a new voice in the coaching as a coach and. That was absolutely true, and I'll have more reporting on that later. I, I know I've already put out there oh, so far, again. I think. Okay, I've already put out there so far that the players really struggled with the criticism that they were getting, um, especially from 
the uh, from the GM and ownership that they were getting this year um, from guys like Kendrick Perkins. I mean, just like the, the perk thing when he uh, when he basically shot on Jason Tatum and then took credit for Jason Tatum having a scoring explosion after that, like <laughs> that really pissed off a lot of guys. Um, which I mean, that's what Perk's trying to do, right? Is is mingles to piss everyone off. But I think him doing that and then them not getting completely backed up by the team against that, I think probably pissed them off a lot. Um, and so I think it just got to the point where they did need a new voice in the locker room. And so maybe bringing in a new coach who maybe isn't quite the coach that Brad Stevens is might actually have a positive effect and actually improve things for them. When I see Brad Stevens as a good coach overall, I see one of his weaknesses is maybe uh, communicating, relating to getting the best out of stars. I mean, I, the Kyrie yep. Irving experience was obviously a disaster. Jason Tatum is growing into stardom. I'm not saying there's a specific problem there, but just Stevens's general demeanor of how well he puts players in roles and all, uh, you know, schemes up X's and O's and those things. Uh, I think that was something he needed to work on. Uh, instead, obviously, he, he's just going to get out of coaching, at least for now entirely. Um, do, do you, are you with me that, that that was Steven's weak spot? And is that something you see them looking into it as they look at, at coaching candidates to replace him? 100%. Um, it was the biggest thing that came up throughout the year. Um, the word pushover has come up a lot <laughs> uh, in my conversations with sources throughout the league. And that I think the big thing was trying to corral the top players and also elevate the players at the bottom. That was their biggest struggle this year. And it's something that's been brewing for a while. And I think the Fisher started with Kyrie, which frankly, can any coach in the NBA control Kyrie Irving? Well, yeah, Kyrie Irving, I think has been relatively subdued or not subdued. I, I think, you know, uh, bought into the program. I think is the fairest way to put it uh, in Brooklyn. And while like there's a ton of coaching power on that staff for sure, I think the biggest factor is because he's playing with Kevin Durant and James Harden. That's the biggest factor. And I mean, we saw the way things blew up with Jalen Brown when they were together and that Kyrie wanted to be the, the, the leader of the team and have everybody fall in line with him. And now they're trying to figure out how do we create that new order because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't at that point yet. Marcus Smart is too erratic of a player um, to, uh, at least offensively and this year, frankly, defensively to be able to execute on the court to the level that his leadership style will hold full sway. And so that's why I do think I'm sure we'll get into this later. I think that smart is probably going to get moved, especially now that Brad Stevens is the uh, GM. Um, and so like they, they need a new leadership dichotomy within the team. It doesn't mean that they have to clear house, but they do need to make some tweaks and they need a new coach and a new GM, which at least they have the new GM to try to reshape the way that that leadership is communicated. And just because Brad, his voice was probably no longer resonating uh, in the way that it needed to as a coach, doesn't mean that it won't as a GM since frankly, the coach is the one that kind of generally has to be tougher on the players and the GM gets to be the good cop for the most part. And I think Danny being the good cop was something that for a long time was working really well. Although from everything I've gathered, it has not been working as well in this new generation of players that they're working with. I want to push back on the idea that it's about controlling Kyrie or another star, because that's just not how it works anymore. Uh, you've got to be able to work with the star. And uh, I don't know if, if, if Brad Stevens spent too much time trying to control Kyrie, not enough time trying to have some control because working with somebody sometimes involves having some control. Uh, but I don't think, I don't think trying to c control Kyrie is, 
was the way to go is the way to go. Uh, and I, I think that was just uh, that that would have been a, a bad approach. Sure. Uh, and, that's what Brad Stevens were doing. And I should say, I'll back off the word control because control, I think, is way too strong of a word. Yeah. Um, and isn't respectful to Kyrie because, like, you know, as much as people like to crap on Kyrie, I think he deserves to have his own sense of control and, and leadership with the team because he is great. Um, but I, I think it's that you need it, it's not just buy in, though, it's not like as simple as you need buy in and trust, like, it has to be more than that because what can you You can only do so much to earn the trust of a player, you need to, to you need to get some sort of level of authority. Because like the coach, no matter how much you want this to be a partnership with the players, the coach is the manager of the team. He is the boss of the team, or or it could be she. We'll see with the Celtics. Um, but so th that coach needs to be able to exercise their authority and get the players to have to follow their lead, other, unless it's LeBron. Like LeBron's the only player that can get away with it not being the case. Yeah, I mean, LeBron definitely can. I believe it's more of a partnership. You are right that, that it's about there is a degree of management that naturally falls on the coach. That's unavoidable. Um, it needed to with the Celtics team, most importantly. Yes. Uh, let's talk about candidates uh, who, who can do these things, who, who Brad's who would appeal to Brad Stevens. I know you've reported they're going to look internal first. A lot of names floating out there. Uh, is there anybody who I'm going to make this two part question. Anybody who catches your eye as somebody you're especially intrigued by or anybody you've got a feeling uh, that Brad Stevens is particularly intrigued by. I think that internally Jerome Allen is the first name that pops up. Uh, you know, he, he's the OG on the coaching staff that everybody is really tight with. Uh, I, I think that his relationship with the players seems to be much stronger than the other coaches. And I guess it's not a surprise because he is the only one on the roster that played in the NBA. And so, and he's also been around for a long time working with these guys. So, you know, he's the one that I think if you're trying to, bring in a coach where it doesn't have to be as much of a earn that trust so much as that they have the built-in respect right away because of his resume and, and you know stuff like that. I do think that internally that's a candidate that you want to go for, but there's a, there are a bunch of other candidates out there. I mean, Chauncey Billups is the, is the name that I've been hearing the most from people I've talked to. And I think that's also the name that's probably coming out there the most from, um, from other you know media. Um, and you know, Chauncey Billups, he's someone that I think has just always been looked at as primed to be a great coach, even when he was a player. And he realized that he needed to go actually get some coaching experience. He did that. And it's it seems like they've had pretty great success this year on Ty Lue's staff. And he's just kind of immediately vaulted to the top of the candidates list for coaches out there. And he seems like the kind of coach that's really a perfect fit for this team. Because, I mean, Brad even said it himself that, they don't need a brain surgeon coach to come in there. It's not about X's and O's, especially because with Brad as the GM, he, he can provide a lot of that X and O expertise. He can really function as that extra coach or that, the, you know, the function as the Mike D'Antoni to a Steve Nash or Jacques Vaughn to a Steve Nash, where he is that seasoned veteran head coach that can provide a lot of the X and O expertise and management expertise to a first time head coach. Um, it, but but Chauncey, because of his resume, because of his gravitas and his competitive nature, he's just the kind of guy that you could really see being that new voice that the players rally for immediately. And there's plenty other we can get into, obviously. Chauncey, forever, did not want to be a coach. He, while he was playing, everybody told him you'd be a great coach. You'd be a great coach. He wanted to be a general manager, team president, something like that. Uh, and then 
hadn't gotten the opportunities he wanted and saw a better pathway in coaching and has gone in that direction now. Uh, it'd be kind of funny if the Celtics end up with a coach in their front office and Brad Stevens and a wannabe executive on the bench and Chauncey Billups. Uh, an interesting dynamic there. Well, you know, uh, the thing is, if they hire Chauncey Billups as their coach, they're going to have to trade him 50 games into the season. <laughs> As someone who grew up a Pistons fan, I still appreciate the Celtics doing that, sending him on a journeyman <laughs> path to get him to Detroit. Thank you. Um, one name that I have not heard come up once in the coaching search, uh, and it sounds like you are going to poo-poo this, and it's probably not realistic this year. Uh, tell me it's not realistic this year, but tell me maybe if it's going to be realistic at some point or something we're going to be talking about. Uh, how about the, a future coach of the Boston Celtics? Brad Stevens. uh no i wouldn't poo poo it at all i mean he could pull a pat riley sure uh i just it's not going to happen this year and i don't think it would happen next year i think i think brad if he's going to take on this role he wants to see it out for the long term grow into it and prove to himself that he could do it i don't think he wants to hire a coach and then move on from that coach pretty quickly and reinsert himself back into it and you know i asked him and in the ownership about why wasn't he, why didn't he take on the pop role or the mm-hmm. role that so many other coaches were given and it pretty much universally failed and they took it all away from them of being the coach and the GM. And he immediately said, it's too much. That was the first thing he said. And he made it pretty clear. just, it's too much work. And then Wick Grossbeck immediately said, those are two separate jobs at the organization. He's the owner for people who don't know. And then the other owner went into how they did studies on this. They've like made it very clear. These are 200 hour a week jobs, which I was like, holy crap, 200 hours a week. Is there even that many hours in a week? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so it's, they're not going to do both. And unless they feel Mike Zarin is going to be promoted to the top um, of the organization, or they're going to bring in Masai Shiri or something like that. It's like, I don't really see, or, or if Brad Stevens is a complete failure as an executive and they want to get him back into the coaching staff, I just don't really see them doing that. Like this organization has taken their time in their coaching hires ever since the uh, Grossbeck and Pagliuca bought the team. And they've only made two in this entire time. They hired Doc Rivers, then they hired Brad Stevens, and they really believe in taking their time to make the best hire possible and then sticking with that person through thick and thin for a long time. There are 168 hours in a week. Uh, <laughs> you, look, at the Celtics are that still... That makes that quote so much better then. <laughs> the Celtics are still... Uh, a very traditional organization. They have a very proud history. Uh, they are not just the average NBA team. And I think Red Auerbach's legacy still looms in a certain way uh, where he was the coach for a long time. He was also uh, the lead executive. It was a different era. Uh, that was more common. That was more manageable then. Uh, but he continued to run the front office for a long time uh, after retiring as a coach. Do you think uh, that prior experience with Red Auerbach influenced the Celtics at all now of, you know, I, I just don't think there are a lot of teams that are going to look at even their successful coach, or maybe even especially their successful coach, because you're taking him off the bench uh, and promote him to the front office when you have an opening. Do you, do you think uh, there, there's something atypical about the Celtics and their history where they would be more prone to do this? Or is this just because they are this big of believers in Brad Stevens and whatever their history was, uh, they'd be doing it just the same? Yeah, I'll take the constructivist view and say that it's 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 a very specific people thing. I mean, they, I guess maybe part of it is probably less Red Auerbach than Danny Ainge, and that Danny Ainge was a coach who wasn't an executive before, and they went with him, and it worked out great. I mean, Danny was one of the best executives in his generation. So I, I think they're doing the same thing. 
Um, I, I, you know, I think it's just that like people that have been around Brad Stevens just know that he is one of those, he, he's an extremely rare person. He just has this empathy and, and, and composure to him that is just unlike almost anyone else I've ever met in my entire life. And when you have a person like that, you just, you want to keep them and and believe in them within your organization as much as possible and just believe in their personality that it will enable them to adapt to whatever role they're in and that their personality will benefit everybody else. And so I really think that's the driving force behind Brad Stevens. And then, you know, I, I don't know how you want to divide up the pie of what skills are most important for a GM. I think that, especially for this team, I think the GM's role as a, as a, as managing the actual personnel and the players right now, at least for the organization is probably the most important thing. And especially considering they have Mike Zarin, who is just, he's one of the best GMs. He's an assistant GM, but he's basically functioning as their GM for the most part. He's one of the best in the league at constructing trades at uh, mining value out of assets stuff like that so it's like they didn't need their gm to be an elite expert on it because they already had that they just they needed their gm to be able to set a tone make the right decisions and be able to kind of bring harmony to the entire organization because that's been their biggest problem so i think i think he makes sense from that regard and so i to answer your actual question i think his background in coaching definitely helps because he, you know, the coach is kind of more narrowly focused, but they're doing the same thing and trying to bring harmony to the staff and get everyone on the same page. And so I think that even if that wasn't working for him this year, I think he's been pretty great with it in the past. And that will translate really well to the front office position. So I think the coaching history did play a big factor in that regard. I think there are three big picture skills uh, that the lead executive really needs. Uh, one is like you were talking about the the communication skills, the organization, the leadership, uh, those personality traits. I think Brad Stevens has those. I think the other two really big ones are uh, deciding what direction to take the team and when, right? You know, you've got a time, even if you are good enough to make the right moves, and I think Zarin will help with a lot of that, you've got a time, all right, when do we want to push in? When when do we want to uh, have our all, all our assets come, come together? When do we want to be more patient to, to look at your roster, to look at the league, to look at the whole landscape and decide what course you want to be on, uh, regardless of whether you can execute your plan, but what you're, when you're planning to peak. Uh, and then the other one is just talent evaluation, right? Like you, you're going to have draft picks pretty much every year. Uh, you're, there are going to be opportunities to trade for or assign players who are going to develop over the course of their next deal. You need to be able to evaluate that talent really well. Uh, and those last two are where I'm just not sure about Brad Stevens because he hasn't been in this role. Is there anything you've seen from him uh, in his time as a coach that that gives you informs you at all on his ability uh, to do th- those two things, uh, to, to chart when the organization, when the team wants to be peaking, when they want to be more patient, uh, and his ability to evaluate talent going forward? Well, I think um, he has not come across as someone who's very aggressive in making change. I think that's probably one of the generally defining factors of his coaching style was his, his incessant belief on his, in his guys and staying the course. Um, and also just kind of being slow to, uh, I guess, allow guys to blossom. He, he made guys really earn it behind the scenes, like, especially with the way that every year he doesn't play his rookies at all for the first half of the season. And then when they finally learn how to play defense, then he's willing to play them. And it literally happens every single season with these guys. So 
I, I don't know if that's going to be what the team needs because I think everybody seems to feel like this team needs a pretty big shakeup. Although if you talk to people on the coaching staff in the locker room, they don't feel that way. They feel like this team needs some uh, some minor transactional tweaks and just needs to be healthy. But also they haven't been healthy in like five years. So at a certain point, you just got to accept that they're not going to be healthy and try to change uh, the personnel of a pretty more drastic level. So whatever. Um as far as the talent evaluation stuff, I mean, he, he's been a big part of their decision-making already. Like he was, he, he was, it was never a situation where he was a coach that had no say and wasn't part of the war room and on, or any of that stuff. Like he was, he was a scout for them for the draft. He was part of their decision-making process. I mean, he and he and, and Danny Ainge worked side by side, as they said many times throughout the press conference, as if the PR told them, make sure you <laughs> use the word phrase side by side a lot. Uh, but that, that was true. I, I think that was all that always seemed to be the case. And so um, I, I know I think that between that and between the way that he was so great at developing, I guess, lower tier players into middle tier players and stuff like that does make you think that he probably will be very skilled and astute at that part of the job. I think the Celtics are very spoiled. Uh, this year was, oh, yeah. quote-unquote, a disaster. They made the playoffs. They still have young star wings in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to build around. They won this. a game against the Brooklyn Nets somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's. I think there's a real opportunity here uh, for Brad Stevens. Uh, is there any reason to believe the plan has at all changed from building around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or is that still the direction Boston seems to be going? I don't see any reason why it would change um, unless Jalen's wrist is destroyed and it ruins his career, but it's his offhand. So I don't think that's going to really have an effect on him besides it'll just take him a while to get healthy. But you know, so often Bradley Beal's name comes up and uh, based on what he said after the season ended the other night, it certainly seems like he's probably going to get traded this off season. And frankly, he should get traded this off season for Washington's sake. And the Celtics will be at the front of the line to try to get him. I hear people so often say trade Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal. Why would you do that? Because if you just saw how much he struggled this year, Bradley Beal is a, an amazing player. He's a borderline MVP candidate, frankly, and he's in his prime now. Uh, he doesn't really do much for you defensively, and I don't think he's that much of a playmaking upgrade over Brown right now and certainly where Brown will be getting towards. But I just don't think the gap between those two players is that drastic, especially when factoring in Brown's age and how much he's making. And um, you don't you're not going to win with just Tatum and Beal unless something crazy changes around them as well. So I think it's either you're trying to add another superstar to Jalen and Jason and make it a big three or or otherwise, I just don't think it's going to be enough unless, you know, unless all these other incredible teams around the NBA are going to fall apart, which they probably aren't. Well, I don't think Bradley Beal's getting traded. I mean, he might. Uh, but he has over and over again said he's different. He's so committed to the Wizards. Uh, I'm just going to take him at face value. He said it enough times that I think uh, he deserves the benefit of the doubt on that. If he changes his mind, we can we can talk about it then. But but he has been so committed to Washington, and uh, the Wizards are talking about you know moving ahead with him uh, next season. I, I'd be surprised if he's traded, though it's not impossible. Uh, you said something very juicy earlier, though. Uh, you think uh, Marcus Smart is going to get traded, especially with Brad now as team president. I think there's been more speculation about Kemba Walker getting traded, though that might be more difficult because of his contract, because of his age, because of his injury issues. Uh, why? What, what makes you so, uh, I won't say certain, 
but more confident than I am, I would say that Marcus Smart will get traded. Well, I mean, for one, they, they've been trying to trade Kemba for a while now, and they weren't getting positive value or even neutral value in return. I don't know if there was even a team that they could find that would even want to take him on regardless. And uh, they needed him to have a great season to rebound that value. He had one amazing month and then got hurt again and couldn't even really play in the playoffs and struggled in those first couple of games when he did play. So his value is not rebounded. It's still low. And the only way Kemba moves in all likelihood is if they're tagging assets onto him in a large multi-team trade to probably bring in a, a star to replace him, where they basically have to give up the farm and give up every single asset that they have in their in their coffers for, which I think they definitely should. So I, you know, I, I think Kemba's less likely to be moved just because it, it'll be so hard to move him. Um, and then as far as Marcus is concerned, it's a matter of changing the leadership structure, as we were talking about. He's about to approach free agency, and he's probably going to command a lot more money than he's currently making. And I just, I don't know how they re-sign Fournier if they do re-sign Fournier and re-sign Smart and extend Robert Williams if they want to extend Robert Williams, which is a major question mark with all of his health concerns. So it's just, it's, it's a lot of money that I don't know if the ownership is willing to spend. And so at a certain point, they probably need to just make some financial sacrifices. But then on top of that, it's just a matter of like smart's been here forever and he's been, he's been pretty awesome. And he's been a net positive player. According to lots of people have asked throughout the league, according to my own eyes, um, the, even if he does shoot like 38% from the field and it looks like that's just never going to change probably. Uh, but it's it just like, I think they need to live with the idea that they're not going to have one of the best defenders in the league and one of the most intense and, and brave players in the league and just try to increase their their basically their three level scoring depth, which I think is probably like the biggest thing that they were missing this year. So I could just see them trying to make a deal because of that, um, and because I think Danny, everyone just felt that Danny Ainge overvalued Marcus Smart, and I just don't know if Stevens is going to feel the same way. Even if Stevens was the one that literally coined "We love him and we trust him," which is like the <laughs> the national anthem of Boston now. Is there, you mentioned ownership's uh, willingness to spend. Is there any sense that the Celtics, because because of this new situation, are more willing to take a step back now, right? Like give give Brad Stevens a little more time to, to find his legs as GM, craft the rosters he wants, have a new coach uh, change things as he or she wants. Uh, is, is there any sense that, that ownership is you know willing to take a step back and, and maybe even relatedly, like, if you're taking a step back, you're probably going to be less willing to spend, right? Like the Celtics were headed toward a really large payroll, and uh, maybe that's combined with this year's disappointment, uh, less willingness to spend on this team. Uh, but, but where do you assess just the, the, the patience of ownership at this stage? That's a really good question, because if you're making these huge changes, I think you have to be patient at this point, especially because they're bringing in a first-time GM. Um, but at the same time, I mean, when Danny Ainge took over, he traded away Antoine Walker. That was like his, I think that was his first trade, right? So uh, I think, you know, I mean, Brad just, he doesn't seem like a maverick in the same way that Ainge is. So I don't expect him to make a gigantic splash for the sake of making a gigantic splash. But, you know, I, I, they're at a point where they do need to make some big changes, most likely anyway. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, he, if they let him do that. Um, but, I, you, you know, they they got out of the luxury tax this year and they paid a big price for it. Like they, 
they they got Evan Fournier for a couple second round picks, and they also paid a couple second round picks to get the trade exception that they used to get bring him in. So they basically paid, paid four first round picks, but then they also sent Daniel Tice away for you know Luke Cornett and Mo Wagner, who they ended up cutting. Um, so they basically get, they basically traded Tice away for Fournier plus all those picks. And th- that's a lot to give up for someone who didn't play that huge or didn't make a huge impact on this team. And then is about to command a lot of, uh, or at least probably a, a good salary. And so the big question is, do they, do they pay him or do they just let him go knowing that they're probably about to step into the luxury tax unless they completely gut, you know, if they, if they basically are able to somehow offload Kemba's salary for basically nothing offload Marcus smart and not pay him. Um, and then not pay Fournier, that seems to be the only way that they can really avoid being near the tax or at least like close enough to the tax that they don't really have any financial flexibility to kind of do a huge holistic restart. So it seems like the only really real move for them is just to kind of push forward into the tax and try to do that through trade and use all of the draft picks you have left and some of these great young players, maybe even Robert Williams, should say great young players, the new good young players, um, and try to you know, push into the tax and bolster the quality of the guys you're using to put into the tax through that. I think that seems like it's where the momentum has been pushing them. And it's kind of the only way that they can do it because Tatum's deal is now kicking in. He's about to become a lot more expensive. Very easy to spend someone else's money. It makes sense, right? Like the Celtics (laughs) would be better off if they spend the luxury tax. It seems like a, a good way to go, except for it's not my money, your money to spend. Uh, But I am all for spending someone else's money. You mentioned Jason Tatum. Uh, you know, it's not there yet, but he's headed toward that, that player option. Do you sense any sense of urgency? We're talking about patience. How patient can the Celtics be after he became accustomed to so much success? Is there any risk, you know, that that twists his perception that he's used to winning big? He went to the conference finals as a rookie, right? Uh, you know, he, he's been playing at these high levels. And if, if the team is taking a step back, is being more patient, uh, how will he feel about it? How, how much do you see his contract situation, even though he's just coming into this extension, how much do you see that looming over the plan going forward? I mean, they're in, I think, a really similar spot to where New Orleans was with Anthony Davis after he started his big deal and started to turn into an MVP caliber player. And they signed Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson and uh, uh, Omar Oshik, right? Was the other one they signed? Yeah. Um, so all those guys got hurt and they all their careers all fell apart. And that was the reason why they lost AD. And then, of course, it happened with DeMarcus Cousins. Um, That's kind of what's been happening with Tatum so far, just on a little bit earlier timeline. But they they brought in Gordon Hayward and his career fell apart. Uh, Kemba's career is falling apart, unfortunately. Kyrie was hurt for a lot of the time he was in Boston. Then he bolted. So, yeah, it's like they got to they got to make sure that they don't step into more quicksand here. But they do have time on Tatum's timeline. I think it's Jalen Brown's timeline that's the more concerning one because once you get halfway through your contracts on a four-year deal and the team is still moving backwards, that's when the trade rumors start and the team start to swirl because if you're going into the final year of that contract, things get a lot more scary. So I think they're probably looking at this as like a – a year they, they they need they need next year to be a step in the right direction even if it isn't a leap forward so that they can at least take the leap forward after next season because otherwise then they have to start worrying about Jalen Brown looking around the rest of the league well the, the reason I bring up Tatum is because I think he's just such a special talent where well, I think Jalen Brown's a good player I don't think he's 
anywhere near that level. I mean, Jason Tatum is what? Probably the second or third best player under 26 in the league. I mean, Luka is the best. And then right now, pick whether you want Tatum or Zion. I think Zion being even younger, I'd rather have him going forward. But just at this moment, the best players in the league that young, like Tatum is two or three. Uh, he's going to go be a perennial play. MVP candidate. Pretty, It's pretty obvious. He's so. going to be a perennial yeah. MVP ballot candidate. Uh, I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a perennial candidate to win the award. Uh, maybe you're that high in them, but I think he's going to be constantly a, a candidate to get in the top five slots. Yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I agree with okay. that. I, that, that like, I feel like the whole MVP discussion, there was two MVP discussions. There's who can win MVP and who can get on the ballot, and they're two different discussions. And you've got to sure. be even better than Jason Tatum. Uh, to be on the top, we could win an MVP. He could have the right year. Everything could come together. But I think it's more likely uh, he's a lower-level MVP candidate, not necessarily on the ballot every year. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think you've just got to spend more time building around him, and it, it's it's going to be tricky. I do want to talk a little bit more, though, about uh, Danny Ainge uh, and his exit. Um, I don't know if it's exactly clear uh, when he decided to retire. There was a report, uh, I believe it was from Mark Murphy, uh, that he informed the team shortly after the trade deadline. And I just look at some of the things Danny Ainge did this year, and I'm wondering if you think uh, he was at all influenced uh, by knowing that he was ready to step away. I mean, uh, like you talked about, he, he was publicly pretty hard on this roster, and you've reported that that didn't necessarily go over very well. Uh, he had that quote recently about never hearing of a Celtics player experience racism in his 26 years in Boston, uh, which was absurd. I mean, Marcus Smart just wrote about this publicly. Uh, Avery Bradley's talked about how his family felt. It. I don't know if you want to parse like, well, Avery Bradley didn't feel it, but his family did. If that doesn't count to Danny Ainge, I mean, those are things that are public. Uh, I don't even know what was talked about with him privately. It was just a, a really weird quote. Uh, there was the quote going around from an anonymous general manager in the New Yorker. Uh, that player empowerment was the worst thing to happen in sports. A lot of people thought that was Danny Ainge. I'm not saying it is or isn't Danny Ainge. I have no idea. Uh, but I will also say, too, that uh, there are more general managers than people realize who, who would feel that way, who would feel, oh, you're taking my power. I don't like this. Uh, that is not unique to Danny Ainge. But the things we know Danny Ainge said uh, in the last year, do you, do you think there was all at all like a, a different level of, of not caring what people think or, or you know, just speaking his mind? because he knew he was heading towards stepping away? That's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. I was on the, the radio station where he said that the, the comment about not the no racism comment the other day. And I, I said, that's complete bullshit on the <laughs> air for them. I mean, that was, a, I still can't believe he said that. And I think, you know, he was golfing while he was, yes. like, he was talking about how he was golfing during that interview. And I think part of it was he just like was a little distracted and just wasn't really thinking about the gravity of the moment and what he was saying. Um, but that's not really an excuse for it. Cause it's like, you should, I don't think you need to be distracted to recognize the gravity of what you're saying in that situation. So that was really dumb. And I don't know why he did it. And I don't know why he didn't make a statement like correcting himself on it, frankly, especially after everything happened with Kyrie. Um, yeah. I do think some of this is just him just kind of being checked out to a certain degree for sure. And I think a lot of the criticism stuff that he was levying was probably him just kind of knowing he's kind of towards the end of his career, whether or not he knew at the moment he was going to retire. So I think that kind of just like let him turn the filter off a little bit. Cause frankly, Danny Ainge has been like the master of not saying anything for so long. Like you'll ask him, are you like, what are you looking to do to improve the team? 
And he's like, well, we're looking at drafting and we're looking at free agency and we're looking at trading and we're looking at developing our own players. Yeah, it's like it, it's like it, it's so it's it, what he does. is sounds like almost like satire, basically. So for him to start kind of like taking a pretty hard stance on all of this stuff, I think maybe was a, a clearer sign that he was checked out. And that was something I think we all kind of considered for a while. Um, and then I'm sorry, I forgot what was the other part of your question. Oh, well, just had he been acting, you know, do you think acting differently? And then I guess the next question is, do you think um, that affected his roster building at all? Of You know, I do think I, I do think he would want to leave the team in a certain position, right? He uh, going forward. Um, I don't know exactly what that means in this situation. You know, I don't think he wanted to leave the cupboard bare for Brad Stevens. Uh, I don't think he wanted to back Brad Stevens into a corner. I don't know if there were even opportunities to make that type of move. Obviously, Ainge didn't make them. Uh, but do you think, you know, I mean, he also has a long history of not making the big all-in move, except for the Kyrie Irving move, which, which backfired. And uh, I do think, to a certain degree, people talk too much about the Celtics not making the, the big move for a star, because the Celtics are the only team that, for so long, had all the assets to go after a star. They had more opportunities to get a star than everybody else. So, of course, they also didn't do it more times than everybody else. Uh, you know, look, at there's a reason Charlotte never traded for the stars, because the Hornets never had the assets to, to go do it like the Celtics did. Uh, but do you think there's anything Ainge did in roster building and uh, how he formed this roster that he turned over to Brad Stevens that would have been different if Ainge knew he were the one uh, going to be staying long term? Do you think he did anything differently uh, because he knew he was stepping away? So uh, let me get to that in a sec. First, as far as the the big the or the uh, was, is it uh, maybe Ainge? Is that the meme now? I forget what it is exactly. But um, he uh, it, it's mostly BS because. All the players that they could have traded for, the people were mad about them not trading for. It was Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and then and Anthony Davis. They tried and they just couldn't get him. Um, and maybe there's another I'm forgetting, but like Paul George, I think it's like pretty obvious he that would have been a terrible decision to trade away Jason Tatum or even Jalen Brown for Paul George. Like he's 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 now the one that we make fun of for failing in the playoffs over and over again. And the Clippers are now losing in the first round with him as their second best player. Um, Kawhi Leonard was, he had this really crazy, mysterious injury and, you know, nobody knew. And he also was just like, he just like held out from the Spurs. Like it was a really, he was a real, it was extremely risky play and nobody knew if he could be the one that would drive a championship the way he did. Um, and then Jimmy Butler, it took him a long time to become the player that could actually carry a team. And that happened for one year, and then the team also fizzled out again. Meanwhile, they have a guy that we think is going to be a you know potentially top five player in the NBA, and another guy that's probably going to be a top 20, top 15 player in the NBA as well that are early in their careers, and they seem to be pretty satisfied with the Celtics organization in general and are locked in long term. So I think he managed that all correctly. And I think those the trades he didn't make and the trades he did make and you know with kind of that big stuff, I think he did it the right way, especially because like the Kyrie trade all they gave up was Colin Sexton in the end, although they could have taken Shea instead, but like they, they did it to take a swing on a risky, but incredibly talented point guard. And it didn't work out, but like they, they did have one of the best players in the league for a couple of years. And I, I think that was the right gamble. So in general, I think the moves, I think he managed all that stuff pretty much the right way. As far as the decision-making on those trades itself, there's a lot of other stuff you could uh, criticize him for. But then as far as this trade deadline, I mean, listen, the, wait, wait, wait. 
let's go back to that because okay. I, I, okay. I want to uh, talk about some of these trades he he didn't make these are fair things about you know what the cost would have been at the time but if we're looking at hindsight yeah it would have absolutely been worth the risk to go get Kawhi Leonard no, no question he, he led the Raptors to a championship you know even if he leaves in a year you'd get so much out of him and he might not have left Boston right it's possible I think he probably would have ended up in LA but you don't know I also think the Celtics could have gotten Anthony Davis I, I don't think the problem was that they didn't uh, have enough assets to do it they were afraid he was going to leave probably for good reason they probably made the right choice but they could have gotten him they could have taken the risk uh if i remember right i don't think the jimmy butler trade was going to cost boston jason tatum uh i think they could have gotten him without giving up tatum and i i'm a big believer in jimmy butler he's been awesome uh, the celtics would have been better this is what we were talking about before it's about timing when you want to be really good when you want to push in your assets and i'm not sure what the right answer would have been for boston i will say this if Danny Ainge had made any of those trades, we might look back and say, oh, wow, that was a mistake. That's very possible. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a no-brainer in hindsight that they wouldn't have worked out, especially the Kawhi Leonard trade. I mean, you can say, yeah, he had this injury, and at the time it wasn't it didn't seem to be worth the risk uh, for what Boston would have had to give up. But in hindsight, oh, that one looked like it would have been pretty great for any team that could have gotten him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I said no-brainer. I think what I was trying to say is that people act like it was a no-brainer to do those trades. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that it's absurd that he didn't do those trades. Yes, and I, I, I just think that. that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it was, it's, no, it's a very but, – but, well, the point that you're making that I think is an important point for Stevens is that Ainge in the front office have only wanted to do trades where they presented massive value upside and, minim, and, and minimal value risk. They're, like they wanted to only do these trades when there was minimal risk. And they weren't willing to take the huge risks. And I think that probably has to change at this point. Um, it has to change with their Stevens. They need to take bigger risks, frankly, if they want to get themselves out of what is basically a quagmire at this point. Oh, this is what I'm talking about. The Celtics being spoiled. They, they made the playoffs. They have Jason Tatum. They have Jalen Brown. We're calling this a quagmire? What Orlando has is a quagmire. This is why I say the Celtics are, are spoiled. I, I agree. Relative to what Boston is used to, it, it's not great. And relative to where it seems like the Celtics could have been after loading up all those assets, it's not great. Uh, but it, well, quagmire if the is Celtics, strong to me. If the Celtics aren't in the finals and they're a complete failure and everyone <laughs> should be fired. Um, it, well, you know, it's a it's a quagmire in that they made the they made the conference finals three times and then they completely shit the bed this year. Spoiled. And this and this year's team, while they did make the playoffs, they were horrendous to watch. It was horrible watching this team play. Spoiled. So they look they looked spoiled. worse than they were, but because they're so spoiled. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right though because Boston has this proud history. To a certain degree, it is finals or bust and I, I'm with you on the risk taking because once you have these good players you can't tank uh, the Celtics are capped out it is a tough road out of this situation uh, if your goal is the finals uh, you're stuck in pretty good which is I don't think the worst place to be stuck maybe in Boston it's viewed as, as a bad place to be but I don't think it's the worst uh, is there is there anything you see as the way forward for them <laughs> um other than just know. taking risks, I mean, because that's, that's always the thing, right? We don't know what trades are available, right? You you might look at the trade and say, yep, you know, that's one I do, that's one I do, but we don't know uh, what's available. Is there, so oh, well, I, I, this might be an unfair I, question, but. I can tell you, like, they they, they could have gotten John Collins if they really wanted to at the deadline. For what, uh, What's that? For for what, though? Uh, for a lot. That's a, th- yeah. that's a thing. It's like they, it wouldn't have been a great value trade, but it would have been a trade for a player that could be 
at a level that's beyond the prospects that they currently have. And then they could have gotten Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier if they really wanted to. Um, and I think they probably should have pulled the trigger on that. I think Gordon's been terrific in Denver this year. And so, and, and I think Gordon, you know, a lot of people thought I was insane for, you know, kind of saying how Gordon could really, really expand his game by just reducing his responsibility in a better team. And I think it's really coming true in Denver. So they could have made those moves and kind of fix a lot of the things that they needed to fix with their team, which was getting better, high quality veterans at the back end of their core. Um, and they didn't do those things. And I think probably a big part of it is that ownership doesn't want to fork out the cash, it seems, unless they are really confident that they're going to make a serious title run. And I think that's probably, to answer your question before about did his did Danny uh, on his way out, did that impact uh, his trade deadline or vice versa? I think certainly them just kind of making what was frankly a, a fairly lateral move that only maybe help them take a half step forward in the whole Tice for Fournier exchange. Um, you know, I think that was probably just like another piece of proof to him that they're not going to, that ownership is not going to be willing to dive all in at this point. What's more likely uh, Brad Stevens coaches again in the NBA or Danny Ainge holds at least a number two role in a front office. Um. I mean, I don't think he'd be a number two. I think he definitely will end up being a senior advisor, you know, GM emeritus uh, at you know, sure. some I'm, point. I'm saying in a front office where that's like, in some front offices, that is the number two and some it's not. Yeah. Well, then I think basically I, the Ainge thing, I think, is the more likely thing. Yeah. I, I, I would, I expect him to take a couple years off and get back to it. Um, but I don't think he's going to take the reins of a team. I think he's going to want to be, um, you know, be like, well, actually, I don't know if this is accurate, but like Pat Riley with um, Andy Ellison. Is that is that the GM in, in Miami? Oh, it's Berg. Yeah, that, that might be. Yeah, OK. Um, but yeah, so uh, I, I think maybe that's the way it happens or it's just him as a Jerry West type. I think those are the most likely outcomes. All right. We've talked a lot about the Celtics. I'm very excited for this Nets Buck series, though. Uh, teams that are playing at the level the Celtics want to be. Uh, and I was impressed by Brooklyn's defense uh, against Boston. This is the last thing I want to ask you about. Uh, what did you think of the Nets' defense? Obviously, that's a big question for them. They have a ton of scoring talent. Uh, what did you make of the Nets' defense? As somebody who watched the Celtics all year, uh, and I forgot what the exact adjective you used to call Boston's offense uh, earlier in this podcast. It was not a nice word. Uh, I don't remember the exact word. Dog shit? Uh, maybe, uh, maybe. Maybe. Somewhere, some, something like that if it wasn't that. Uh, what did you think of the Nets defense? Were you as, as impressed as I was, or do you think this is more Boston's offense being, uh, well, I, I think, I think Boston's offense made things look, uh, way easier for them than they should have. But I'm, ex I mean, I, 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 if I'm picking the Nets as a, as a champion favorite right now, for sure, which is obviously a, an incredibly bold take. Um, <laughs> but, uh, th they showed that their defense, that their individual defensive effort can make up for a lot of the shortcomings that they have in defensive talent, um, especially that KD is defending phenomenally right now. I mean, he's playing elite defense, and that's going to match up great against Giannis. I'm sure we'll see plenty of Giannis. I thought James Harden was doing a great job of uh, with his point of attack pressure in that series, and he was getting tons of deflections, forcing loose balls, stuff like that. I really love what he was doing. 
Kyrie Irving is one of those kind of like performative defenders. He's like a he's like a Rajon Rondo type <laughs> where he makes it look like he's making a huge play, and then he matadors the guy, and then he just stands and watches the rest of the play. So you know, I, I do think he steps up his level in the playoffs, uh, yes. but he's he's going to have a challenge ahead of himself with, with Drew, especially because Drew, assuming Drew's going to be on him a lot of the time, is going to frustrate the living hell out of him on the other end. So yeah, Brooklyn, I think, demonstrated enough that they will that they, like they their defense will hold up in the playoffs. I'm just kind of worried about like how do, so they they've had a lot of success going small with Blake Griffin and hopefully Jeff they get Jeff Green back. Um, I don't think that's going to work against Giannis and Brooke Lopez if, if Milwaukee wants to get Brooke Lopez near the rim more. So they're probably going to have to rely on Nick Claxton and maybe even DeAndre Jordan, uh, which sounds hilarious since he's like their fourth highest paid or fifth <laughs> highest paid player. Um, so, I mean, I love I love Nick Claxton. I just don't I don't know if he's ready for, for that kind of role yet. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the individual defense, but just how they're com- communicating, how they're moving together was all impressive for a team that you know has an elite offensive ceiling, too. Yeah. And, and the thing is, so one one way that they really killed Celtics in the second half of that series was Bruce Brown was the best center in the series. <laughs> he's like six, three and a half. Um, but he so they used him as a point of attack defender on on Jason Tatum most of the time. And he was he was great in that. And then they would have him as a hard roller with like Kevin Durant and the high post, things like that, where the where the Celtics were having to double up on the ball. And he was slipping behind it and able to finish over whatever defender was rotating into the paint. Milwaukee has that presence at the rim. And they have between Giannis, who is like one of the best roaming shot effectors in the game. And then Brooke Lopez, who just kind of eats up everything in the paint. They're able to contain and take away Bruce Brown's offensive impact in a way that the Celtics couldn't even come close to. So it's just going to put so much more pressure on Durant, Harden, Irving, and Harris to be pretty much perfect the entire series. But we can probably count on that. Yeah, you know, it should be a fun series, more fun than uh, Brooklyn, Boston, even even with the uh, <laughs> extracurriculars uh, from Kyrie. Uh, this one should they'll solve Kyrie uh, and everything he thinks and and says not with the Boston dynamic, uh, but with a a better team on the other side. Uh, Jared, it's it's been a blast talking to you. Thank you for uh, setting me straight on some of what's going on in Boston. I I was very confounded by by all of it. I feel like I've got a a better sense of it now. I'm definitely looking forward to uh, the things you tease, the things you're you're reporting out about the situation. Uh, you can follow Jared on Twitter at Jared Weiss NBA. You can read him at the Athletic. Jared, thanks for coming on. Felbin for life. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to sixty percent on new arrivals from Vince, Rag and Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.